Father, we thank you that we get to celebrate and praise the name which is above every name. The name that is exalted on heavens and the earth. The name by which there is no other name that men can be saved. And we're grateful for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that we get to celebrate him, that we get to know him, that we get to be cleansed by him, that we get to follow him and obey him. Father, I pray that you'll be with us today. Again, just speak to our hearts. Let us hear that which you would have us to hear. Let us obey those things that you instruct us so clearly in your word. Let us give glory to you in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. We are studying in Acts chapter 2, and you want to go ahead and open that in your scriptures, uh, your copy of the scriptures. We have been talking about the role and the function, the, what did it means to be the church of God. This series is called We are the church and i'm talking specifically about those who have been redeemed those who have been saved those who have been regenerated made new brought to life by the lord jesus christ we've seen how that jesus was crucified buried and resurrected how that he stayed for some 40 days interacting with the disciples and teaching them about the kingdom of god and he prepared them for the outpouring of the holy spirit this new relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. He clarified their commission. No longer were they simply to be as the Jewish nation had been, a place for people to to retreat to or to join with. Now they were to go into the world to make disciples and to be aggressive in this representing the gospel, representing the Lord Jesus Christ to the nations. And we see how they gathered together and they were dependent upon Him. In prayer, 120 people gathered together for days, probably nine, ten days, praying, seeking God, and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And it's done miraculously. We see the power of the church. We see the Holy Spirit power with the sound as of a mighty rushing wind, the the visual demonstration, the tongues of fire that came and settled upon them, the oral, the, the thing that they heard, everyone hearing the gospel proclaimed in their language. And then Peter stands up and he preaches. And he preaches this tremendous sermon that Luke gives us a summary of. And we started, and we kind of broke it down into three points. It's divided up that way, really, when you look at the text. Peter opens up with an introduction of of the prophecy of Joel. This is not some fluke. This is what Joel promised would happen. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural demonstration thereof. And then as he relates the prophecy, he not only relates the prophecy about the signs that will accompany the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he continues and talk about the day when the sun will be darkened. The day, the magnificent, he calls it, the magnificent day of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ had already clarified for his disciples that he's come once, he's ascended, and he's coming again. And when he comes in that day, it will be indeed a day of judgment. And so Peter, having clarified the current prophecy fulfilled and the future prophecy that will be fulfilled, then he points their attention to where it was all along, but really settles it on this person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men of Israel, hear me. This Jesus that God has attested to by mighty works and wonders and signs, this Jesus whom you crucified. And he goes back to Scripture and he tells us and tells them who Jesus is. How that it was prophesied that he would come. How that he is the Lord and Christ the Messiah. How that David knew him. David saw him. And he he just masterfully points to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our text, the verse that leads up to what we're going to be focusing on today. Just to to set the context. Um... Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then our text today, let's go ahead and read it, Acts 32, 37 through 41. And then we'll come back and look at it in a little bit more detail. Now, again, get the context. Thousands of people from around the known world have come to celebrate the Jewish Passover. And they're in Jerusalem. They've seen the the tongues of fire. They've heard the wind. They're hearing the gospel and and the preaching in their own language. And Peter stands up to preach and he lifts up his voice and he's a shouting preacher. 
It's biblical. He's a shouting preacher so that they can all hear what he has to say. And he deals with the prophecy and he points to the Lord Jesus Christ, which we've just said. And he proclaims this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, here's their response. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Father, again, thank you for this record of these events that took place, for this message that Peter preached, the message that you have given to us to preach and to share. And I pray that today you will help us to understand biblically what our role is in the harvest, who we are as the church, what it means when we say we are the church of God, we are the body of Christ, we are those who are working in the fields, salt and light. And I pray that you'll just apply it to our hearts and our lives. Help us to understand our biblical perspective of our role, of what it means to be a part of your family. We love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Some of you know we're having some work done on our house. And I got to tell you, it's great good fun. Uh, there's a, it, it has its own challenges, inherent challenges. We've had some walls taken down and we're, we're doing some work. But there was a guy working there the other day. And he had a 23-ounce steel shaft east-wing construction hammer. Are you guys familiar with that sort of thing? Just in case you don't know, it's the best hammer ever made. In my personal and professional opinion. Uh, I used to have one. And um, actually, I was on a church trip where we were doing construction on someone's house. And I think one of our deacons made off with it. So if you have it, no, I'm kidding. It's a joke. But we were talking, and I was saying, man, I used to have a hammer just like that. I love that hammer, and we were talking about this hammer. And again, don't judge me, okay, but probably 20 minutes talking about hammers. And he said, well, what kind of hammers do you have? And I walked out in the, in the garage where my shop is and opened my hammer drawer. I don't know if you guys have a hammer drawer at your house or not, but I have a hammer drawer. And I opened it up, and there's a three-pound hammer and a two-pound hammer and a masonry hammer and a ball-ping hammer and a nine-ounce hammer and a 12-ounce hammer and an 18-ounce hammer and a 21-ounce hammer. I got yellow-handle hammers. I got red-handle hammers. I've got a box full of hammers. And he looks at that for a minute, and he says, you only have two hands. And you can probably only use one of them with a hammer. And I said, yeah, but I don't have that 23-ounce E-swing. He said, well, I've got to tell you, as important as the hammer is, it's the carpenter that makes a difference. I think there's a point there for us that when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to salvation and when it comes to being the people of God, we, I think, are a pretty solidly taught biblical church that salvation belongs to God. Amen? Man cannot save himself. There are no works that we can do to be saved. What Scott read this morning is Ephesians chapter 2. Very clearly, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, the free gift of God. It's grace, not of works, so no man can boast. But he goes on in verse 10, which he read. That says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works that God has before ordained that we should walk into them. Which is great and glorious truth. One of the dangers, though, that I think that we get skewed on, as those who believe that salvation belongs to our God, John chapter 6, no man comes to me unless the Father draws him. John chapter 16, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Every time you see a transformed life in Scripture, it is attributed to the transforming power of God. And once we recognize that salvation is of the Lord, sometimes there's a tendency for us to skew what our role in this is. And we just say, well, God doesn't need me. Does God need us? And, and, and don't, don't be too quick here. Okay, I want you to process this with me for a minute because I've heard and I believe that God is not deficit of anything. Would you agree with that? The, the, the psalm says, the psalmist writing, God speaking through the psalmist says, I don't need your bulls, I don't need your goats, it's not like I'm hungry and you have to feed me. I don't need your money. I don't need your wealth. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. There is nothing lacking in me that you need to fulfill. And so there are those who say, and say rightly, that God could save the world and He doesn't need us to do it. However, I want to make something abundantly clear to each of us. When we became a child of God, when we got saved, When someone shared the gospel with us and we became convicted of our sin and our need for a Savior. When we fell on our face before God. And I don't know where you were. I don't know if you're a kid in an altar like I was. I don't know if you're a child by your bedside. I don't know if you're a college student at a Bible study. I don't know if you're an adult talking to someone who shared the gospel with you. I don't know if you were at a church and responded at the altar. But there came a point in your time when you said, I'm guilty, I'm wrong, I'm lost, I need to be saved. And you repented. Conviction followed by repentance. And you repented and you gave your life to Christ and and you surrendered and you prayed and you asked God to save you. God did His supernatural work. He was working the whole time. He was teaching. He was instructing. He was illuminating. He was convicting. He is regenerating. And you are responding in repentance and faith and you're casting your life upon Him. When that transaction happened and you became something that you had never been before, It was more than just a state of being. It's also an occupation. It is also a a pleasurable task. To follow means to move. To follow means to obey. And continually throughout Scripture, and I know that I always get pushback when I teach on evangelism, which has been, of course, the last two months in this church. And often when 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 the Scripture brings up the need for evangelism, and yes, God doesn't depend upon us, but yes, God has determined to appoint us as His ambassadors, the Apostle Paul says, no longer living to please ourselves, but living to please Him as His ambassadors, speaking as though it were God speaking through us. God's Word speaking through us. Romans chapter 10, when he writes to the church at Rome and his burden is for the Jews, he says, how shall they be saved? How shall they be saved? Well, they're, they're saved by faith. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? Hearing by the Word of God. And he talks about the importance. That, what about Paul's life when he got saved? You remember he was Saul, the persecutor of the church. You guys remember the, the account that's found in the book of Acts? And he was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. And the Lord Jesus appeared to him. He fell off his horse. Saul, Saul, why do you, why do you kick against the goads? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus talking about me. His church identified his identity with his church. Paul in Acts chapter 6 is given his testimony. And he says... To the rulers that be when he's given this public testimony, having been accused by the Jews. He says, God gave me this mission. He gave me this mission to open the eyes of the Gentiles. He gave me the task to be a missionary, if you will. My words, not his. But to bear and proclaim faithfully the gospel. I've got news abundantly throughout Scripture, we see that that wasn't just a mission for a few. It is the pleasure and the privilege and the joy of every believer to represent Christ and to speak the gospel. Are we responsible to save people? Paul said, I become all things to all people that I might might by all means save some. Wait, 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 Paul. Salvation belongs to God. Absolutely salvation belongs to God. You don't think Paul knew that? Paul knew that abundantly clear. 
issue is not, I am able to save you. The issue is, I am used by God to proclaim the gospel. And God saves. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and righteous and judgment. So there's a balance here that I want you to get. It's real important. We even talked about this when we started the whole book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. The, the former things I wrote to you, O Theophilus, of all the things that Jesus began to do. Now, what is Acts? It is the work of God going on now through the church indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. So we have a task, we have a joy, we have a job to do, and that is to proclaim the gospel. It's, what, it's, it's how the church was started here in Peter's sermon. We have a high view of God, but we need a biblical view of the church and our role in continuing the work that he began God prepares the harvest. God reaps the harvest. How does he do that? In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went throughout all the cities of, and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, uh, the gospel of, of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, listen, you guys know this, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers of you. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We are salt and light. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God making his appeal through us. We are to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in the Lord Jesus. We should be ready to be actively engaged in this. And now, this always puts pressure on us, doesn't it? Oh, he's going to tell me I should be a witness again. Oh, he's going to tell me I have to talk about the gospel again. Unapologetically so. If the scripture teaches, models, and instructs us to be salt and light, models us to be evangelists, models us to be those through whom God makes himself known to others, then we ought to embrace that. We ought to celebrate it. There are many pictures and examples in Scripture, but none better than this one at Pentecost when Peter stands up to preach. Peter exalts and explains Jesus, who is attested to God. And then he, again, brings it all down to let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Who is this Messiah, the promised one, the Savior, this Jesus whom you crucified? Now, did those people actually crucify Jesus? And I'm not going to let you go to sleep today. Did those people actually crucify Jesus? Yes. In the hand, by the hands of lawless men, he said earlier. By the hands of wicked men, the Romans may have driven the nails. But the Jews in the crowd screamed, crucify him. Their sin directly brought about his death on the cross. Okay. But here's what I want you to, make, to understand. So did yours. So did mine. But now that God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We sinned. Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. And we are, every man, woman, boy, girl, every one of us, don't miss this. The world largely overlooks this, and we don't talk about it a lot, but every one of us are guilty before a holy God and deserving of judgment. That's why Peter went back to Joel and talked about the sun being darkened, the earth being consumed, and that magnificent day of the Lord, the judgment that is coming. And so he really started with the bad news. He started with the reality that they were blood guilty, that they had blood on their hands, that they had sinned, that they had destroyed the Messiah, the one that Christ sent. By the plan, don't misunderstand me, this wasn't some sort of accident and it just sort of happened and now God's got to make the best of a bad situation. This was by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And God's definite plan put into place in the Lord Jesus Christ through His death and through His resurrection is what enables us to be saved. But it is what demonstrates to us equally our need to be saved. We crucified Christ. He died in our place. We stand guilty of sin before a holy God. And the wages of sin is death. 
And I bet this is what you talk about at lunch when you're out with coffee, right? And with your friends, it's just kind of a casual conversation. It's not. Because we don't typically like to talk about bad news. They heard this and they were cut to the heart. They were pricked in their heart. Old King James Version. The, the word there is to be thrust into or to be stabbed. They were stabbed. They felt the guilt that was legitimately on them. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now let's make sure we understand this, this concept of conviction. If you look up the word conviction, by the way, number one on your outline. As evangelists, we need to pray for Holy Spirit conviction. And I want you to understand the context of this. When we're talking to people about the gospel, when we're talking to people about Jesus, when we live a life of holiness before them, when we can love our enemies and our enemies look at us and don't know what's going on, when we can have someone unload on us and we can respond with grace, when we can have a horrible situation and yet have an inner peace, even though there is external suffering and people see that as a testimony, but much more so when we actually open our mouth and speak words of truth into the life of people, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to convict them. Are there any convicts here? Don't raise your hand. Any con- what does conviction mean? Well, it means to pronounce guilty. Boom. To pronounce guilty. That's what the law does. Romans chapter 3. The law was given to us. That it, in order to take away all of our excuses. We stand guilty before a holy God. Now if you're here and you're saved. You know that. You've been there. If you're here and you're genuinely converted. You've, you're genuinely saved. There came a point in your life. Where you stood before God as guilty and acknowledged it. Conviction. Awareness of my need. Awareness of my sin. Awareness of my lostness. And that's what we pray. It is the Holy Spirit's job to open the eyes. To bring that understanding, that illumination. That's what Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 16 when he said, I must go away and you're going to be better off when I go away. Now I'm with you. He's going to be in you, this other one, this helper. It is the Holy Spirit of God and he is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so, we, again, it's not our job to berate people. You understand that, right? We don't look at people and say, oh, you, you, you're just a terrible sinner. Ungodly, dirty, filthy. Is it true? Sure, it's true. Are there times when it's appropriate to approach someone like that? I'm going to tell you that there are, yes, that there are times when it's appropriate to, to approach someone like that. But we don't stand up. And that, the, the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring that understanding. And we reason with people. We show truth to people. We explain the reality of the situation of every mankind. Because the gospel being good news, there's only good news in the context of bad news. It's only good news in the context that we have a Savior. It's only good news in the context that we need a Savior. Amen? Do you understand, do you understand what I'm saying? And yet it's awkward because of these old caricatures. You guys remember the old sandwich sign guy? Repent, turn or burn. Repent, judgment is coming. Ringing the bells, shouting. Long beard, matted hair. I need some volunteers to do that downtown Greenville. You ready? No. There are good ways to do this. There are ways to do this that facilitate people listening to you. But I've got to tell you, those of you who say... You're one of those Turner Burn preachers. I'm not going to be a Turner Burn Christian. Tell me where the theology is wrong in Turner Burn. Tell me where we've missed it in repent or die. Tell me where we've missed it when we say you will die in your sin unless you trust in Christ who died for your sin. And so we've got to be willing to, and you can be polite, and you can be tactful, and you can be kind, and you ought to be loving. If you don't love them, 
they won't listen to you. You ought to be loving enough to tell people the truth. And the truth is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, no, not one. And judgment is coming. And there is a warning aspect to the gospel presentation. But we don't like it. And I want to tell you that you need to be able to engage people at that level, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. More about that later as we get through this. But what we're praying is that the Holy Spirit will bring awareness to their heart of their need for the Savior. That the Holy Spirit will bring Holy Spirit conviction. Not the objective declaration, you are guilty, but the subjective experience of, I am guilty. I need a Savior. Yes, it is true in John six forty four that no man can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws him. Yes, in John 16, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict of the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And yes, Paul makes this abundantly clear, our role in this. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how they, are they to hear without a preacher? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them who preach good news. And I know we talk about this a, a good deal, evangelism, but it needs to be emphasized that we have a role and a task. It was part of Peter's message in verse 19. He gives the prophecy from Joel about the wonders of the heavens above, the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day, that day of judgment. But then he gives the offer of hope. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, this is from Joel repeated by Peter, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You think Noah was popular in his hometown? He was building an ark for years and years and years. And he was telling people the flood was coming. Was he well received? They laughed at him. They mocked him. They jeered him. Was the flood coming? The flood was coming. They did not heed the warning. And they suffered the consequences. There's a guy who used to work up at Camp Marietta. His name was Phil. And uh, he was driving to Camp Marietta one day. Gravel road. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Gravel road. Kind of windy. He was driving up the road. And all of a sudden here comes this car driven by a lady skewing around this curve and she's kind of swerving all over the place and she hollers out the window at him pig he said made me mad i shouted back you're a pig and drove around the corner and ran right into a pig that was standing in the middle of the road she was trying to warn him that there was a pig in the middle of the road rather he skipped the warning and suffered the consequences. I think it's okay for us to chuckle a little bit. But I want you to understand that missing the warning is not a laughing matter. That there was coming a time that there is a line drawn. And there's no salvation after that point. Whether it be death, whether it be a heart that's hardened by the Holy Spirit. It is beyond, it is beyond. And we need to be instruments, the hammer, if you will, in the hands of the carpenter to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Simple, obedient. So what do we do? Their response to Peter when he told them that they were guilty, that they were the ones who had crucified Christ, was not to argue and say, no, we didn't. It's not our fault. Their response was to open their arms and say, what, what, what shall we do? What must we do? Peter's response, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for this promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And let me just deal with this really quick because it's so important. We need to be part of calling people to repentance. And repentance is not putting your name on a roll or filling out a card or, or, or simply saying, you know, I, I, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to somehow be worthy of God. Repentance is once you come to the point of conviction and acknowledgement of guilt and you feel your guilt, it is responding by metanoia, by changing your mind, by turning, the turn part of turn or burn, by giving up control of your life, by acknowledging 
acknowledging that there's going to be one boss, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the owner, and we release everything else, and we give ourselves to Him. It's casting ourselves into His care. It's leaving all and follow Him. The Bible gives so many illustrations, so many pictures of what it means. But it means that you... Again, this is enabled by the Holy Spirit of God, but it means that you surrender your will to God and you say, I'm no longer the boss. You're the boss. Go read Luke chapter 14 again. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. If you continue to hold on to this or hold on to this, you have no part in the kingdom of God. You have to release everything and you seek at this point. You, you surrender and you say from this point forward, I am following after Christ. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Your blood applied on the cross for my sins. Apply to my life. Wash me and cleanse me. Take my sin away. Your righteousness give to me. I am not worth it. I haven't earned it. This is all grace and I surrender my life to you. It's what Paul described in First Corinthians chapter five, Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. Again, go back to that. He says, I no longer live to please myself. Now I live to please him. I have a new Lord, this Christ, whom you crucified. God has made him both Lord and Messiah. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's in charge of my life. And now I live for Him. Amen? Is that where we are? Is that where you are? Because I want you to understand, salvation is not something that you just kind of work your way into. There's a point when you are not saved. There is regeneration. And then you are saved. And it is a Holy Spirit conversion that takes place. Conversion is a good word. It's a biblical word. It is Holy Spirit conversion that takes place. And so we invite people not to be better. We invite people not to come to church. We invite people not to try harder. We invite people to give up and surrender just like the prodigal son in the pig pen. Just like the woman at the well just like all of these experiences that we have. where And your testimony. I don't know your testimony. I hope you have a testimony like this. But if you don't, I'm going to tell you, you need one. This needs to become your experience. There has to become this awareness that I need to be saved. There has to become this awareness that Jesus is the Savior. And there has to come this place of yieldedness and surrender. And, and, and again, when you're talking about man's responsibility, we talk about God's activity. It is God who saves. There is none but God who can save. It is our job to call people to repentance. It is our job to, to pray for Holy Spirit conviction. It is our job to pray for godly regeneration for God to make people new. And there's a change that takes place. You guys remember before Christ in your life? And after Christ? Do you remember, think for a minute, what your life was like before Christ? And do you remember coming to Christ? And some of you, it may have been through Sunday school and you had heard about Jesus and as a kid you were in all the Christmas plays and the Easter plays and you knew the story and there came this point at some point where you surrendered your life to Christ. For some of you, you may have been an adult in college or you may have been an adult in the workforce and someone came to you with a gospel or you saw a change in someone's life and you said, I don't have that, I need that. And you surrendered your life to Christ. And you remember, again, we can deal with feelings. You remember that emotion that of being cleansed, of being made new. You remember the difference it made in your life. All of a sudden, God's Word became interesting to you. I had one guy that I went to college with. His name was Mike. He said, I hated to read till I got saved. He said, and they handed me a King James Bible, and I couldn't hardly understand it. And I started reading and reading and reading and reading. And he said, here's what I discovered. If you just stick with it and you pray enough, the Lord, the, Lord, the Lord will help you get it. If you study it and you search these things out, the Lord will help you get it. And all of a sudden, he had a hunger for the Word of God. All of a sudden, he wanted to please God. All of a sudden, when you got saved, your desires became different. They became supplanted. Now, you didn't become perfect. We all know that. You just became saved. You became forgiven. Your life had a new direction. And that's what we're praying for. 
We're praying for repentance and calling people to repentance, to a new direction. Now, for those of you who struggle with the idea of repent and be baptized in this sermon, Peter's not making baptism a condition for salvation. I want you to understand this is not baptismal regeneration. But repentance and baptism go together. Why? Because what is repentance? It is a change of life to obedience. What is the first evidence of salvation? It is identifying with Christ through water baptism as a testimony of the goodness of God, of the saving work of, of God. Remember when Jesus first began his work, he went to get baptized by John. John said, oh, no, not, I can't baptize you. I'm not, I'm not qualified. Jesus said, no, you, ha- you have to baptize me. Because he wanted to fulfill every, every command. He wanted to fulfill every step of obedience, to live the perfectly righteous life. And repentance then becomes testified to through baptism. We're saved by grace through faith. Why? Because God is designed he is foreordained he has created for us good works that we should walk into them repentance is always demonstrated by obedience that's what paul said in acts 26 when he was talking to agrippa he says i had this vision from god he called me he gave me the job to open the eyes of the gentiles and i was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but i declared first to those in damascus and then in jerusalem and throughout all the regions of judea and also to the gentiles and here's what i declared to them paul says this is acts 26 uh, verse 20 that they should repent and turn to god performing the deeds in keeping with their repentance repentance is always demonstrated in behavior Repentance is always demonstrated in behavior. Now, the last part of this sermon, we have the conviction that is so evident on display, and we ought to pray for Holy Spirit conviction. We have the call to repentance that comes as a result of our proclamation of the gospel, of our talking about Jesus Christ and who He is and what He came to accomplish in our need for the Savior. And then we trust God. We trust God to save. You don't save. I don't save. We trust God to, to save. But I don't want you to underestimate the importance of being a good hammer. Of being a good instrument. Of being a tool to be used by God to accomplish His purposes. what we do as a church. We're, we're an evangelical church. Evangelism is part of our makeup. It is what God's called us to do. The commission that God gave His disciples to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, we meet at the Hilton in Greenville on Sunday. If you're not here, you're always welcome to come. 45 Orchard Park Drive, right off of Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 1030 on Sunday morning. This is where we gather together as the people of God to pray for one another, to be taught the Word of God, to fellowship together, to worship together, to allow God to move and work in us and through us individually and corporately as His body. This is a place in which we meet. Now, we are praying that God will provide the means and the way for us to go back to the western of Greenville as a place to gather on Sunday. As a place to serve as kind of a mission center. Because, not so that we can have a, a place that's convenient or comfortable for us, but because we feel like God's called us to that community. There are people who live there. Some who have recently moved in. Some who have lived there for generations. And they need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need someone to go to them and to care for them enough to say, judgment's coming. There's a pig around the corner. Judgment's coming. There is destruction on the way. And it's just and it's righteous and you've earned it. And yet, this dire situation has a gracious solution. God gave His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for your sin. And He offers salvation. He will cleanse you and forgive you. He will make you new. He has prepared a place in heaven for you if you come to Him in repentance and faith. And we invite you to respond. Will you give your life to Him? And you're going to find some people who will say, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, because the Holy Spirit has already brought conviction to their heart. The Holy Spirit has already quickened their mind and their illumination and understanding. There are others that you're just going to be the one planting the seed. 
you're going to be the one that the Holy Spirit is going to use to get that into their thinking, to start to keep them awake, to begin this work of conviction. And I've got to tell you, we think in Greenville, everybody knows the gospel. Hey, everybody doesn't know the gospel. Now, granted, I would assume that most people in the United States, much less most of the people in Greenville, have heard of Jesus, and they know who Jesus is, and they make jokes and songs and stuff, and they understand Jesus died for me, and ha, 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 and I get that. But they don't know the gospel. They have a caricature of Christ, a lack of understanding about God, and they live in this deceived mindset that the God of this world has given to them, that life is about me, and I'm okay with God as long as He takes care of me. I'm okay with God as long as He gives me an income and gives me the right car to drive and gives me the right house to live in and makes my relationship go well. But there's no understanding of this need for repentance because of the fallenness of man that God has made a a solution for in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how will they hear without a preacher? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. How pretty are your feet? Beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. We've got to get from, and you guys can help me with this, because I've I got to tell you, we, we've, got, we've got to process this somehow and get better at it. And, and I'm, I'm accustomed to what I was raised with. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm accustomed to what I was raised with. But somehow we've got to get away from viewing evangelism as a duty that we have to undertake. And we do it begrudgingly, and it's difficult, and it's hard, and I'm not going to do it unless I just have to, and as long as I just kind of give it a shot and throw it out there and satisfy the minimum requirement. We've got to get away from viewing evangelism or talking to people about Jesus as some sort of duty we perform. As a, It needs rather to be a privilege for us to be the agents of life, to be the agents that... That, that, that God uses to see people born into His family, to be those who rescue people from the judgment that is coming, to be those who introduce people to the One who can make them new. We got any matchmakers here? There are people who kind of like matchmaking. And they love it when a couple comes together. I've got to tell you, it is such a greater and higher privilege to take the God of the universe, the one that God has made, both Lord and Christ, and to take someone who is separated from Him, who has no understanding of who He is, really, as presented in the Bible, who He is, as He has demonstrated Himself to be, and to introduce them, not introducing the Lord to Him. The Lord knows them, but introducing them so that they begin to see the Lord Jesus Christ as He genuinely is. What a privilege. What an honor. That's really the third point in the outline. There were, there were, there were uh, 3,000 saved that day. We need to start rejoicing in God's saving work. We need to celebrate and celebrate our role in talking to people about Jesus in sharing the gospel and proclaiming the good news. We need to celebrate God's saving work in saving their lives. Peter calls them to save themselves from this crooked generation, this generation that is under judgment. He invites them to come and be a part of them. That's what the baptism was about. There's a big problem they have, and there's a gracious solution in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it requires a radical response, repentance, and obedience, and then that leads to celebration. We sang this morning about how we're going to celebrate when we see Jesus. We're going to, pearly gates are going to open, and we're going to walk the streets of gold, and there's going to be great celebration in heaven. You know when the Bible says that there's a celebration in heaven? You know. When does the Bible say there's a celebration in heaven? Over one sinner who repents. Over this believer who gets saved. The lost coin that is found. The lost sheep who is brought into the fold. Heaven celebrates and we need to rejoice in God's saving work. Think about this. We get to bring people out of the world. We get to see people brought into the body of Christ. And there is great rejoicing. To see someone's life transformed. To see someone 
who used to be a lousy husband, all of a sudden start learning how to love his wife. To see a rebellious child transformed and their attitude changed. To see the saving work. Again, a hunger for God's Word. A hunger for others to know God's Word. To see someone who was at one time far off, but now brought into the family of God. I'll tell you what. I'll stop, but I don't want to. Here's the fun part. We're going to go to Proverbs 18. I want you to look up one, one passage, because... I think sometimes we, uh, we take one application of Proverbs 18 and we don't do the whole application. Proverbs 18, we are used to the verse that begins, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we talk about how dangerous our tongue is. You guys familiar with that? Remember James when he talks about how dangerous the tongue is and how it's like the rudder that controls the ship and how like a spark it can start a fire and we've got to get control over our tongue? Listen to what the, the, the writer of, of the, this proverb says. He says, verse 20, From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. Your words, your words, what you say. What you say. It's fruit. It's the fruit of your life. We know from what Jesus said, it's the fruit of your heart. But your words can be righteousness and can be filling. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can say things that can destroy people. You know that. We know that. But did you know that God wants to use your tongue to speak life to people? John chapter 4. Jesus encounters the woman at the well. They stopped at Samaria. They went inside to a little Samaritan town. They sent the disciples in to get food. It was their lunch break. They were traveling. They went to get food. Jesus is there. He encounters the woman at the well. You guys remember the story. I'm not going to go into detail. But here's what I'll tell you. The disciples come back and they say, here's lunch. And Jesus says, I got food to eat you have no idea about. More satisfying to me than food. More satisfying. Most I hungry. I was hungry when I stopped here, but I am not even physically hungry. There is something that has surpassed that in satisfying me and filling me. What is it? His encounter with this woman. And the fruit of her repentance, you remember what she did? She went back to the town and said, Hey, listen, you guys gotta come see this guy. He's told me stuff about myself. He's the real thing. The disciples are there with their food, and Jesus says, I have food to eat you don't know about. And they look up, and all of a sudden, here's the crowd from the town. Here they come. The men have their heads wrapped in turbans, the women in their shawls. They're wearing their robes, and you see these little white heads bobbing, moving this way, and it looks like white heads of wheat in a field. And Jesus looks and says, look, harvest Ready to be harvested. Pray the Lord of the harvest. It will send forth harvesters. Into his field. Laborers into his field. Harvest. I have food to eat you don't know about. This is more important than real wheat. Look at the harvest that needs to be assembled. Harvest. And then Jesus tells him. He says go Into the harvest that the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. I know very few things more satisfying and rewarding and motivating than being the instrument that God uses to bring someone to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what's your role? The whole point of this sermon is we need to understand our biblical roles. Not your job to save. Amen. Aren't you glad? Didn't that take the pressure off? Anything I can talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. Not your job to save. 
But what is your job? It is to be laborers in the harvest, proclaiming the good news. Praying for Holy Spirit conviction. Calling people to repentance. If you want to, to a trusting in God to save and rejoicing in His saving work. That's what we're about. That's good news. Good news. So here's my prayer for you this week. Here's my prayer for us this week. Get this now. This is important. Here's my prayer for us. I'm praying that we will talk to somebody about Jesus. That we'll be laborers in the harvest. That God will open your mouth. That maybe you'll be able to call somebody up and take them out to coffee. That maybe there's somebody that you already have a relationship with. That you've talked about football and you've talked... I don't know what y'all talk about. What are you talking about? Sales at Target? I don't know. Uh, and, uh, construction? Uh, fishing? That you, you have a relationship with? You've known them? You talk about raising kids? You talk about how hard parents are to deal with? <laughs> you talk about... And, I'm thinking about conversations I've had this week. You, you, know, you, you talk about all these different sorts of things, but you've never talked to them about Jesus. And it may just be the start of a long conversation. It may just be a start where you say, do you know what happens when you die? Have you ever thought about that? These people were killed week before last in Atlanta. We had some people killed in another state. This week, murdered. Life could go just like that. What happens when you die? Or it may be that you're talking about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What do you understand? What do you, what do you know about it? Look, here's a passage of Scripture that describes what Jesus did. What does that mean to you? What does that passage mean? Not what does it mean to you. What does it mean? Tell, tell me what, what it means. And I'm praying that God will tilt you forward, get you off the bubble, lean all of us into those conversations for His glory that we get to participate in. Isn't God good? Aren't you glad He's got a job for you? Aren't you glad He's got a task? Aren't you glad that He enables you to do the task? And you don't have to usurp His task. He'll do His part. You do yours. He will move and work as only God can move and work. Father, thank You for the privilege that You give us to be Your church in this place at this time. Thank You for the opportunity that we have to be ambassadors for Christ. Thank You for the calling and the exhortation that You've been putting on my life and the conviction of the many, many missed opportunities. And I confess those and I pray, Father, that You will... Forgive me. I pray that you'll forgive each of us for those times when we should have opened our mouths and didn't. But I pray that this week, rather than seeing this as some sort of drudge or duty, that we'll see it as the privilege that it really is and that you will give us the opportunity to be spiritual midwives, that you'll give us the opportunity to speak love and grace, speak truth and love and grace into the lives of people around us and that you will work, bring them to conviction, call them to repentance and that you will save them and make them new. Uh, Use us for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.